welcome again to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike Crimmins. Hey, Zach. How you doing? It's good. It's still 2020 as far <laughs> as I can tell. It's been 133 months long, but I think it is still 2020, right? I felt like I had to have like an animated intro because uh, what a long week. It's, a long week. it's Friday. It's not over yet, technically. It's technically not over. It is close to quitting time on on on, on Friday, and uh, you know I actually look forward to these podcasts every every month on Friday. They're they're good times. It's they're good therapy and a good way to end the week. I agree, and they always end with me cracking open a beer. <laughs> not during work time. Maybe really really clear about that. That's that's. Well, I think it would be legitimate if you know we we. Uh, we had a few while we were we were doing this. I think that's that's allowed, <laughs> particularly because we're. Really? I'm not sure it is. <laughs> hey, you know my office is now my living room. Sometimes <laughs> it's my bedroom. Occasionally it's my other spare room. I gotcha. I have a dorm room. I've converted my back bedroom into a dorm room. So I do feel like we have to raise our game because the animation in this prep was we're struggling right now. It's it's been a. It's been a tiring week, but hopefully we can pull it together, Mike. And we got a lot of cool, interesting things uh, to talk about. One of them being we are in certainly unprecedented times right now. uh, And I'm talking about climate, uh, (laughs) not about politics. We are in unprecedented times coming into the winter season on the heels of the driest monsoon season and into a La Nina, which we'll, we'll talk a lot about. So we'll just sort of unpack like how unprecedented it is and, and what does it all mean. So that's one thing you got to look forward to. We just came through another dry month uh, yet again. The dry summer has persisted into our fall. So we'll review October weather. And then we said last time that we would take a, a little bit of a deeper dive into the fire situation. Normally it's not a time, at least in, in Arizona and New Mexico, that we talk about fire because Fire is something that uh, at, at this point in the year is in the rearview mirror. It's not for California, but this year it's been different in part because uh, of the very dry uh, and warm summer. So darn it, Mike, we are still talking about the monsoon. I know. I wish you'd stop. I wish, <laughs> wish you would just make it, make it go away. Okay. How long will we feel the monsoon in our conversations? Maybe that's for later, but I'm just curious, like, because I'm not sure we can get out of it for at least a few more months. And I, it was wishful thinking. Oh, um, that's what you're talking about. I, I thought I'd say if we're still doing this 10 years from now, which I hope we are, <laughs> I will still be talking about the 2020 monsoon. <laughs> oh, I meant more like in impacts related. Oh. <laughs> How much is, is, is the, the record dry monsoon going to be? with us that we'll be talking about it in a, in a climate impacts kind of way. I don't know. And I think that you preface this kind of whole podcast content here with the idea that we're in kind of uncharted territory in the historical record anyways. I was looking at some different data sets. You can carve the data a lot of different ways, but if you look at the last three months, four months, six months, it's the driest on record for many locations across the Southwest. So that puts us in in the historical record, kind of at the bottom, right? But then to have a La Nina event staring us in the face, which suggests that we will be below average for many more months, that combination of months, I don't know. I don't exactly know what that looks like, but maybe we can kind of kick that around a little bit more. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a good foreshadow of where we'll go to uh, in this podcast. But let's start with October. You know, October, you've said this often. October climatologically is our transition month in terms of the westerlies. We get these loops in the jet stream that can ferry in uh, cold and, and, and if they're in the right configuration, they can pull moisture up from the tropics and really produce some, some wet months. Also, conversely, you have quite a bit of, uh, of years where it's, it, it, it's just dry. Uh, you don't get those storms, or if you do have a passage uh, of a low pressure system, it can, it can be moisture starved. That's not out of the ordinary. And this year, in fact, uh, we've had zero precipitation in, uh, in October in Tucson and in, in Phoenix, and just a wee bit I'm not even sure I believe the wee bit. Uh, you'll have to, you've been up there, Mike, or at least you've been conversing with people up to, uh, up in the Four Corners area, Flagstaff area. But but it does look like from the data that I'm looking at that they had a, just a little bit, a tenth, a little bit more than a tenth of an inch in, in parts up there. But for the most part, uh, another dry month. And I would just also say that zero precipitation in Tucson and Phoenix uh, is not out of the ordinary. So I looked at the past record for Tucson. And in the 73 years that I was looking at, 12 of them had uh, less than 0.05 inches. That was the cutoff that I used. Basically, very little rain, if anything, if you can call it rain. So 12 of of the 73 years had zero. And for Tucson, 19 of the 82 years was uh, not zero, sorry, but less than 0.05 inches. So not dry, unfortunate given where we just came from, but uh, clearly something that happens often. Yeah, absolutely. So October is just like you said, is a transition month in it. If we look historically across the Southwest in the historical record, we have everything from some of the record wettest local uh, precipitation records broken uh, with tropical storms that have moved up uh, Gulf of California and wandered up through the Southwest, just outside of the monsoon season occurring in October. And we've got, as you noted, a handful of months with actually zero precipitation at all. So if you look across the Southwest, we got these really wide bands from min to max. And so if you use the average, it tends to those really wet years drag up the average. So just using the average or percent of average will often give you kind of a misleading is that you'll often more frequently be below average. But in this past month, it was a lot like September kind of uh, weather wise, we had that continuation of those ridging events that were giving us those those really hot conditions. We started the month with, uh, you know, strings of 100 degree days continuing in uh, Tucson when we're we're down here. And that, it kind of ebbed and flowed this broad, big ridge across the Western US. It built up in the early part of the month, but we did start to see it kind of transition into something that's more westerly. So it kind of flattened out. Storms were kind of zipping across the Pacific Northwest, Intermountain West. And then we had one precip event across the Southwest that occurred towards the end of the month, around the 25th or 26th. And that's where Flagstaff ended up squeaking out five hundredths of an inch. Uh, if you move over into New Mexico, New Mexico did better. And so some locations like Gallup got a little over a half inch and Albuquerque uh, ends up with the month at a little over a little shy of a quarter inch. And then even a little further east of the state, it's almost up around 0.7. And that's that's for the total for October. So, and again, I think most of it fell in that late month event that was a low pressure system that dropped straight out of the Pacific Northwest, dragged down a bunch of cold air, was able, and it brought a little moisture with it, intercepted a little moisture to the south, 
and produce some localized convection across the high country of Arizona. The east side of Tucson got a little bit of precip where the west side didn't. And then um, New Mexico ended up getting a little bit. You got a little rain? We, nothing, I I think it would have been a trace. Um, I don't think it tipped. I don't think it tipped the tipping book. I mean, it was like, it was nothing. I was, I was uh, upset, but I had people, it was pretty funny. I had people chiming in and being like, ah, did you get, did you get any rain? Like we got a little bit and I'm like, wow, the baselines have been really recent this year. (laughs) I was the same way. I think I remember that day because it was, it was, first of all, the, the temperatures crashed. So uh, Tucson ended up setting a record low for the day and had a freezing event, which was interesting. If you remember last October, right around Halloween, we had a very similar event that dropped straight south, but no no precip with it. But um, really cold air. I mean, it was, it was such a contrast from what we had been feeling here for the last six months that those like two days were enough to like lift my spirits in amazing <laughs> ways. I mean, because I, I didn't even get any rain. I mean, it was mostly when cold temperatures. I saw some, some Virga over there. And so that you're right. That's how low the bar is now. Yeah. Brought some snows to the high country. Uh, yeah. Right. And, I, and the, and the, and the temperatures really did plummet and we did go from summer to winter as often as the case. <laughs> right. And then we went right back to summer. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was short lived. A little but, bit disappointing because we got that little taste of comfortable weather and we went right back to uh, near record, if not record temperatures across locations of the Southwest in the last week, especially. So that was the only wiggle really in the jet stream that, that brought any semblance of a low pressure system through through our area. Do you, do you, do you recall? Yeah. I mean, the rest of the month was basically characterized by ridging conditions. There was a little wiggle in um, the middle part of the month, but it only, it brought wind. It wasn't, wasn't very strong. This was the most pronounced, you know, uh, low pressure system that dropped out of the, the higher latitudes that actually had some cold air with it that we've seen yet this season. But like right now, as we're recording this podcast, we're just on the cusp of another very similar event that, that could bring a little bit more precip to the region and uh, another cool down in temperatures. So what would be, so this is, this is forecasted over the weekend, right? So we're coming at you, we're, we're, we're recording this on Friday. I don't even know what day it is. November, <laughs> November, November 6th. 6th. Yeah. So this, this event is forecasted for this weekend, correct? That's right. Yeah. And it's actually, I don't know if you have access to a window right now, but we've had some really nice high clouds kind of streaming in all day. Temps are a little bit lower. It's only in the eighties rather than the mid nineties today. And, you know, I've been kind of paying attention and we'll talk a little bit more about this the rest of the podcast, but the longer term outlook with this La Nina event really felt like we're going to get locked into something very warm, very dry because we'd had this kind of persistent pattern in September and October. But this is a, this is a decent event. It's not super wet, but it looks like it's cold enough. It might put down a little bit of snow and a little bit of precip. And then subsequent, if you look at the, the longer term forecast, six to 10 and eight to 14, it's not dry, <laughs> so it's not it's not necessarily wet, but it's it's cool, and we've got uh, sort of equal chances um, looking at the next two weeks. So I don't know, maybe November won't be like the 2017 November, which was our last really knockdown drag out La Nina event where we had that record hot and dry winter. That would be nice. What's the difference between this event that could potentially drop down more? Uh, more rain and the one that just sort of skirted the northern that dropped precipitation more to the the, the northern reaches of our 
uh, Arizona, New Mexico. Is it that the the jet stream isn't digging as far south, or is it that uh, somehow it's not entraining as much moisture? The position of it, in other words, isn't isn't uh, conducive for bringing up subtropical moisture. Is there is there anything that we can any, anything that we can say in comparison from this upcoming event to the last one? Yeah. So this one, just looking at some of the weather forecasts right now, uh, it's it's actually a two. It's two low pressure systems that will swing through. So it's a broad a broader long wave trough we call, but it has two smaller short waves that'll rotate through it. And the first one. Uh, part of this longer, longer longer wave trough is a little further off the west coast, and rather than it being an inland storm, it's a slightly and so that that's a little bit better with that actually having some moisture, and as it um, kind of drops into the southwest and it rotates these two short waves through it, it's actually able to pull some subtropical moisture up with it. So it looks like it'll have a little bit better access to moisture than the the previous October event. So why, why though is the, the jet stream looping more to our West important? I didn't quite get, quite get that. Like how does that uh, factor into rainfall? These storm systems we have in the wintertime, they can either bring moisture with them or not, or, and it's usually an and, and they can intercept some lower latitude moisture. And typically it's a combination. And so if they're cold and they bring moisture with them, um, if they have more sort of an oceanic trajectory, then they preserve a little bit more of that moisture and can kind of carry more with them. If it's more of an inland trajectory, then they're, they're kind of working out some of that moisture and they can end up having, they can get dried out as they sort of slide on the inside of the, of the Southwest. So it's kind of inside slider type events is that they just didn't, didn't have much moisture with them. And if they don't access any when they're down at this latitude, they just, they're just dry and cold, which are super, super common here. In Arizona. Yeah, that, that reminds me, I, I think it was last Thanksgiving, I was traveling through Utah, and we got a bunch of rain, I think it was last Thanksgiving. And it just always strikes me as like, wow, like, it's amazing that there's any precipitation for how far the, the storm has to traverse over the land and how many mountain ranges and, and, and sort of top- topography it traverses. It's just strange to me that there's still moisture around. So I know I so with you on that too, because it is there and there are little studies where these river valleys, the the big river valleys of uh, in the Pacific Northwest and through the Intermountain West end up being really important channels of sort of low level moisture. And if you think about it too, these colder systems, they don't end up having a lot of moisture. So if they're cold, they just become really efficient sort of snowmakers. And if they drop down here and they're at sub tropical moisture is warmer and it's going to have more, it just has more moisture to work with at that point. So those, those can end up being much uh, more efficient rain events or snow events as we get down here. So the other thing, the temperature thing um, uh, for October was, you know, we did have that, uh, that event that, 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 like you said, brought record cold temperatures for that brief period, but by and large, it was another month of warm conditions, at least uh, looking at the the temperature anomaly from the West Wide Drought Tracker, Mike. I mean, it, again, the Arizona, and 
Western New Mexico is, is pretty much uh, painted in all above, above average temperatures. Eastern New Mexico, on the other hand, was near average or slightly below average temperatures. But again, that's a pattern that um, is not all that unexpected. There's some, some trend in there. Um, but also, you know, if we don't, if we get very few of these storms uh, that, uh, that come through, if we don't have the wiggles in the jet stream uh, to bring these more northward originating storms, we're just not going to have the uh, the cold weather. So, yeah. Know. Yep. Totally agree with you. And that, you know, just that the, the ridge of high pressure has just been relentless over the Southwest in particular, and just having that center of that ridge, which we had in September, which was not helpful for any monsoon activity, it kind of continued and it just baked us at that point. And so looking at that climate perspectives tool that the uh, regional climate centers have together, I'm, I'm clicking on Tucson. And so Tucson was, it's third warmest uh, average temperature for the last 30 days. And so you can imagine if we didn't have that record low temperature, that cold day in there, that it probably would have topped out as record warmest. 2020 keeps delivering, Mike. <laughs> it does. Extreme, baby. Um, all right. So anything, anything more to highlight about October weather and climate that we, that we didn't touch upon? I guess we, we, we didn't touch upon the lack of any sort of remnant tropical storm coming in, but uh, that's obvious given that we didn't have any rain. Anything else to highlight? No, I mean, I think that way you framed it is that it is a transition month and it can be extreme and it really wasn't. I mean, I think the only extreme part about it would have been that it would have probably been record-breaking temps across the Southwest, a continuation of that if we didn't have that one weather event come through in the later part of the month. Yeah, you don't look for October to, to, to bust drought, uh, or you don't bank on it, in other words. You don't bank on it, but man, it can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think we've already put in the rearview mirror. Do you remember like, um, just even a couple of years ago, we had a run of October's, uh, and it wasn't that long ago, I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but, you know, Phoenix getting seven inches of rain in October was only three Octobers ago, I think. It's so hard to even remember now at this point. Yeah, it's funny. I looked at, I looked back in the record and I looked at all of the years that had a very dry summer season. Uh, and I think there was 10 of them. I'm, I'm doing this a little bit off the top of my head because I can't find, I've got so many spreadsheets open that I can't <laughs> find the actual numbers, but I'm, I'm fairly confident what I'm about to say. So there was like these 10 years that had SPI values for the summer monsoon at negative one. So basically the, within the, the drier, drier 33% percentiles. And then I looked at, well, what, what did October look like for those? And I think only one or two years actually had, one or two Octobers of those 10 actually had wet conditions. So there, there did seem to be, I mean, this is just all like, nothing you can really draw conclusively. There's no dynamics part of this. It's just a small sample size statistics, but uh, there did seem to be some persistence there. If you had, a, if you tended to have a dry, a dry summer, then that sort of persisted into, into the fall. But, but I think, I think you would, you would be like, yeah, but the, 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 the dynamics that produce a, a dry October are completely different than the dynamics that produce a dry summer. And so there's a little bit of comparing apples to oranges. 
No, I was actually going to argue the other way. <laughs> oh, was, really? Yeah. Well, I was, I was like, you know, that, I don't know. I could kind of get behind that. I mean, the, the, especially if it's those summer totals were from active East Pacific uh, storm systems or storm seasons that if, especially if you had good contributions in August and September from those tropical storms and it was an active season, there's no reason to, to think that it would necessarily shut down right on September 30th, that it could linger into October. So maybe there is a little bit of kind of persistence in that too. And I also have been thinking a lot this year too, is that if you've had a really good wet monsoon season, you do have a little bit more moisture to, to recirculate and recycle that could even linger into the beginning of October. If you were to spark off something quasi monsoonal or, you know, you just have probably some more moisture to actually potentially access in October and maybe vice versa here. This is just such a stark example this year that there's just nothing to actually recycle that, you know, maybe that was, you know, part of the reason here, but we didn't even have any weather weather features to actually capitalize on any moisture if, if we were to be able to access it. I'm surprised that I had that so wrong with you. I would have, I would have thought you would have uh, been agreeing with me. So, well, I, you know, I had my case of the Mondays on Monday, right? We, we already, we already worked that out. So I'm a little more upbeat today, not as combative. <laughs> yeah, we won't, we won't revisit that. <laughs> Uh, note to self, though, for anybody that interacts with Mike on a Monday, don't send him a paper and 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 try to ask him his opinion the first thing in the morning because. Uh, oh man, I should make a mental note to not review papers on a Monday too. It would be totally unfair. <laughs> okay, so moving along, one of the we've talked ad nauseum about the dry summer season, and one of the main impacts of that has been what's become a pretty unusual fire season uh, for a couple of respects, particularly, you know, here in this, in, in, in Arizona, uh, for the most part, I, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at New Mexico. So a lot of what I'm going to say is about, about Arizona. Uh, so particularly for Arizona, but, you know, also I, you know, in terms of the news, um, you know, California has dominated the news in terms of, uh, of fire. It's, it's seen a, a record-breaking uh, fire season in terms of acres burned over 4 million or so, probably 4.5 million acres, which shattered its record. That is undoubtedly related to, in part, uh, dry and warm conditions that we've seen in, in, in the Southwest. So uh, what I think is interesting, Mike, is... Um, you made the point last time that the implications of historically dry monsoon season is that we're likely to see fire persist uh, into, into October into, for a longer period of time in the Southwest. And uh, has that played out? It's a That's good the question. question. Did you figure it out? I think I figured it out. Uh, what's your, before we get into the numbers though, I'm just, I'm wondering if you think that narrative, um, if you've seen fire be more of a, a, of a, of a longstanding persistent issue this year in comparison to other years. It's funny. I don't know if it's funny at all, actually. I think I'm wrong. Uh, Fire's not funny. <laughs> that I, well, I was, I was, and I'm glad you're going to talk about the, the stats, which I think is really helpful, but I, I've, started to look at the, it's the National Fire Danger Rating System metrics that they have. And then I, and I just looked at the seasonal outlook by the 
uh, National Interagency Fire Center for the Southwest. And there has been a decline in some of those fire, fire danger rating indices that are weather-based for the Southwest. And then the outlook really is trending back to normal conditions. And, and I think this is largely the expectation that the fire weather, which will include much, much cooler conditions and cold overnight conditions will really start to temper the rates of spread and the ability for fires to really, if they're ignited, take off. And we've also limited, you know, lightning and that kind of stuff. So I, it, the, the outlook from, from NIFC, National Interagency Fire Center, is for normal fire activity in the short term, like through the next couple of months through the winter season. And I think a lot of it is probably what you're going to talk about, Zach, is clim climatologically, we do sort of trail up. So there is this whole idea, though, that we've come off the driest monsoon on record. Does that then change the situation at all? And I'm, I'm actually not sure that it does. Okay, I'm just crunching the numbers here. A couple updates. One is I just looked up the statistics for California has a little bit over 4.3 million acres burned there. So I just wanted to be, be clear on that. All right. So a little, little bit of the climatology of, of fire. So I, I was just curious to ask the question, like given the low rainfall, how many fires started in Arizona after the monsoon, the, the usual start of the monsoon in July? So how many fires began in July and persisted through to date? The Southwest Climate Coordination Center, and, and I'm only looking at fires larger than 100 acres. So these were considered their large, large fires. But on average, average being 1990 to 2008. So this graphic wasn't updated, hasn't been updated for 12 years. But in that period, July on average saw in Arizona 13 fires larger than 100 acres. In August, 7.7. In September, 1.5. In October, 1. And then you dwindle to a fraction in November and in, in December. Let me do New Mexico just for comparison. New Mexico is a little bit lower across the board. Uh, same pattern though. July 7 in New Mexico, August 3.5, September 1.5, October 1, November and, and December um, less than one. All right. So I got my hands on data from... 2000, I only had time to do 2010 through 2018. 2019 did not have data and I had to eyeball 2020, but I got a good, good estimate. So, okay. So I just gave you the averages per month. So on average between, between July, September, October, November, and December uh, in Arizona, about 23 fires happen in that period. So it's, it's taking guess. It's a low part of the season, right? The, the point is, is that it's typically not an active time, right? That is right. Thank you for clarifying. That's right. This is like, normally when the monsoon starts, the fire season ramps down. The question this year is, okay, we never really had a monsoon. So what was this season in comparison to an average season? And so on average, about 23 fires of greater than 100 acres uh, occur in Arizona in those uh, uh, six months. Right. This year we've had 76. <laughs> it's pretty, that's, a, that's more, right? <laughs> By my math, that's, that's, that's a lot more. And that's kind of what you would expect, or that's what I would have expected, but that's yeah, a like, lot more. Yeah. And so then, then I did it by acres over those years, somewhere in the vicinity of 50,000 acres have burned from those 23 fires. 
this year. And again, I'm like eyeballing the PDF, trying to add a bunch of acres together for all of the 76, uh, about 400,000 acres have burned. Yeah. So it has been Mike, a fairly, a fairly long drawn out. And, uh, in terms of acres burned, uh, a fairly intense fire season and one that is at least by the, 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 the numbers that I'm looking at pretty uncharacteristic. Yes. And so you had, you'd kind of carved it up too, because I'm, I'm looking at one of the current fire maps and again, by my sort of eyeballing data collection here too, I see two active fires in Arizona right now, and they seem to be close to being contained. So we're in November. So when you looked at those statistics, how many typically were occurring in like the months of November and December, right? Well, few, few. a lot of them, a lot more than, than I expected uh, occurred in, in August. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so looking just at that distribution, most of that is occurring earlier in a, in a dry monsoon, you'd expect to see most of those fires kind of burning in the summer season rather than in the fall. I guess no, the that's, point right. is, that, that, that's, that's the point. It's you're right. It's that the fire season, the monsoon, the lack of the monsoon just increased the length of the fire season in ways that quite frankly are, are intuitive, but at least now we have data to put, to put to that. The risk now falls in for all the reasons that you said. Right. And I, I think I was, I was intimating that we've crossed some threshold of hyper mega dry monsoon and that we're going to have a new fire dynamic this fall. And I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. Right. I mean, like historically, in climate, I'm sorry, what? So what would you have thought that, that fire dynamic to be then? I don't know. I don't think I was thinking. I think I was, I was, uh, I was kind of off the cuff uh, idea that dry is bad, but not thinking through there are these other parts to having a a fire season. And so when it gets cold, that's not necessarily great for large wildfires. So again, it's, it's not to, to say that there will be zero fires across the Southwest the next couple of months. Um, the, the, uh, a seasonal outlook talks about nuisance fires. And so these would be small fires that are kind of wind driven, maybe lower elevation, maybe even a couple of upper elevation. But I think that the expectation is just the, the fire climate and the fire weather taking over here is those cooler conditions, precipitation falling across upper elevations. will just, it won't be uh, necessarily supportive of having large fire spread. Doesn't mean zero fires, but large fires taking off to over 100 acres and thousands of acres seems quite unlikely the next couple of months. So it also raised, as I was doing this, it also raised sort of a different question, but, but how much does the dry summer matter for next fire season? Is it really, it's the winter stupid, in other words, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Or, or will we see, and this kind of gets at the question that I asked initially, which is how long will we be seeing the monsoon, uh, how long will we be talking about the monsoon in terms of impacts? You know, does this, does the last monsoon, the failed monsoon deliver greater risk for fire conditions next year? Were you going to answer it? I will after you. <laughs> I have to go first. <laughs> I think it's so interesting. And, and I'm, again, I'm just kind of offering up some ideas and some, some opinions. Okay. So I think in the conventional wisdom, and you'll talk a little bit about that paper that you suggested that we take a look at. The winter typically 
is related to uh, spring fire activity through the winter precipitation, right? And so when we think about fires across the Southwest, we can have a mix of different types of fires like low elevation fires that are carried on annuals or grasses that are grown from previous seasons. And then the kind of more destructive fire, those can be destructive fires and they can be really big fires. Like I think, you know, even this, this past year, looking at a couple of the lower elevation fires, including the, you know, the sawmill fire here in, in the Catalinas actually started as a low elevation fire and was carried by a lot of the fine fuels that grew off of previous fall precipitation. So we end up having in the lower deserts, the lower deserts can get chocked full of fine fuels when it rains a lot in October and November. In the last couple of years, we've had a lot of October and November rain. So it's grown a lot of those fine fuels. The upper elevations end up seeing a lot of their uh, vegetation growth that will come off of winter, spring precipitation, and then monsoon precipitation. So you end up having really good, big, lush understory in the upper elevations of the Southwest when it, you have a good winter and then a good summer. So we had a good winter last year, but not a good summer. And so then that leaves us in kind of this weird spot of thinking about the health of the trees and the amount of moisture in the live trees, if they're drought stressed or not, and also the, the dead fuel on top of it, right? So that's, I think, how that kind of fire weather to fire climate all connects up. So we had a really dry summer. So does that create drought stress in trees? I would think so. I think that that would be an ongoing drought stress that could that drought stress be relieved by a good winter? Yeah, I think it probably could. And having good soil moisture in the spring and those trees um, taking up that soil moisture. And then we kind of bump along at these shorter windows is with the fuels that's on the ground, like these down logs and, and cured out vegetation, if it has access to moisture in these short windows prior to the fire season, they can kind of be more flammable or less flammable in that situation, right? So the failed summer monsoon, I was thinking, will it extend the fire season? Well, maybe that's not necessarily the case because the fire weather it's just going to be less supportive as we get colder. And even if we have these couple of events, like a little bit of precip here and there um, might help. Well, extend, so it's almost like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Extend but what you mean, extend the, the, the fire. The current. Season. Yeah. Meaning like though in the sort of September, October, November period. Yeah. But it, but it did extend the fire season in the, the summer period and, and, and basically the July and, and we had yes. more July and August and probably September um, fires than we, than we otherwise would have had. Yeah. In Arizona, New Mexico, for sure. Right. And the California thing is really different because they're, they're going to end up having enhanced fire activity this month and next month, which is also prime fire season for Southern California because of Santa Ana wind events and those, those easterly wind events. So, yeah. So going back to your, your kind of first, the, the, the question is, is what's the monsoon going to make for ne- mean for next spring? I'm not sure. I don't think it's necessarily positive, but I think it's almost too early. I think we need to see how this winter shakes out. And so that'll kind of lead us into this discussion of a La Nina. There'll be really interesting research questions to kind of think about too, was if we end up having this record dry summer and a record dry winter, what's the contribution 
is that in total made make a fire season worse or was it really only the lack of winter precipitation that's going to be at play for enhancing that fire season? So I looked into this a little bit too, as I was thinking about this today, I uh, called up a, a paper, a recent paper uh, actually published this year uh, by folks here at the University of Arizona. The first author is Alexis, I'm going to mispronounce the last name, Rispe, uh, Don Falk, Connie Woodhouse, Thomas Wetnam. So people that have a long history in doing fire related work, particularly with tree rings. And the, this paper is called uh, Widespread Fire years in the US Mexico sky islands are contingent on both winter and monsoon precipitation. So title is very, uh, very spot on to the question that we just asked. So this is a paleoclimate study, which is really helpful because there's long uh, records going back uh, and it's a different perspective. They were looking at rainfall from tree ring or, or, or uh, seasonal rainfall reconstructed from tree rings done by a Klimas alum, Dan Griffin. So shout out to his 2013 work uh, where he was like really one of the first to be able to look at the tree rings and separate the monsoon signal from the winter signal, uh, which was really cool work. And so this paper then used that parsing of the seasonal rainfall and also looked at fire scars within these nine, within nine mountain ranges in the, in, in the Southwest. And basically came up with the years that produced uh, widespread or and frequent fires in these mountain ranges. And then, you know, plotted them in relation to what the winter uh, precipitation value was and what the summer precipitation value was. And it turned out that basically all of the years, not all of them, a large fraction of the years that had fires in multiple mountain ranges uh, happened during dry summers and dry winters. Now, here's the thing though, Mike, I, I had to dig around for this, which is more a function of my skimming reading ability than, than the articulation in the paper. But the monsoon that they were looking at was concurrent with the fire season uh, and not the previous one, which is what we were just talking about. So they, they, they also addressed this question and they did time series analyses and basically the monsoon mattered in the season in which the, the fire was chronicled, but not the previous mon uh, monsoon. So what did matter was basically the previous winter. The question though is, is like, these are paleo studies. How many records do they have that actually align with the really dry, I mean, how, how much of an analogs were there in their record versus what we just went through? I mean, we'll never be able to assess that, but again, we came, came off a, a pretty historically dry season. There's probably not many of those even in the long paleo record, um, a handful of those, and whether or not those aligned with the years in which they've, they've looked at the, or, or been able to tell that there was widespread and, and uh, fires is, is something that we won't know. So, but I think the take home was is that yeah, the monsoon matters, but it seems to matter more for the current the current fire season for the ways that we've already talked about, which suppresses the fire uh, season uh, if there's a good monsoon, but more importantly, al allows that that fire season to be more vigorous because of dry conditions. Again, I think that these 
fire seasons, especially in Arizona, they're not all kind of created equal and they, we can get a little bit of apples and oranges. And so that total area burn. And if we think about last year too, it was, you know, the November through March period was, was solid average, if not above average for Southern Arizona. If we think of some of the Sky Island regions across Southern Arizona, we're, we're thinking about some of this fire activity. So that precondition and the growth of fine fuels led to a situation at the end of the spring where the fuel loadings were high in the low desert and kind of up through mid elevations. And that's actually where we saw a lot of the fire activity. And so I don't believe we saw a lot of high elevation, like heavy timber fires this last summer, even with having a lot of um, area burned and numbers of a number of fires. So this going forward, it puts us in kind of an interesting spot where if you look at some of the fuel, like there's a tool called FuelCast that uses remote sensing to look at fuel loadings. If you look at across much of New Mexico and much of Arizona around the foothills of mountains and especially around the Sky Islands, the fact that we didn't have a monsoon season and we've, it's been dry so far this fall is that the fine fuel loading is actually below average for this time of year. So kind of looking forward, that would mean that if you had low elevation fires, they might not connect up, turn into larger fires, and they might not move uphill. And so the dry winter might then just translate into higher fire risk because of drought stress at higher elevations. But then it also then relates to ignitions and the fire weather that carries a lot of these fires in the fire season. So I think we'll have a lot to talk about as we go through the winter and kind of monitor the conditions. And then as we get on the cusp of the fire season next spring, we'll have, I think, more to say and a little bit more to anticipation. I think I jumped the gun on trying to peg every problem of 2020 on the lack of monsoon precinct. <laughs> it was, it was the, our, our mental state at the moment. I mean, we needed it. Right. Right? No, but, but let's just put a fine point on that, which is maybe not a fine point. Maybe the big, the big point is, so this, this winter season is particularly important in terms of fire, particularly important for the higher elevations more so probably than, well, I don't know, maybe I'm, 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 I'm going beyond what you were saying, but it, it seems to be a, a, a more important part of the higher elevation stories, particularly if we get a dry winter on the heels of what, what we've just had. Yeah, that's that's my understanding. Kind of, And that, that paper, really, that was kind of one of the take-homes, right? We know that that winter precept becomes a really important determinant of subsequent fire season activity. Another point that I want to bring up, we don't have to belabor this, but since we are revisiting the monsoon and its myriad impacts. Another one that, that cropped up recently that somebody brought to our attention was just the stream flow effect. That whatever rainfall and snowfall that was put down, less of it consequently would make it into the streams because the soils weren't replenished uh, from the monsoon. So the expectation was is that whatever streamfall we ultimately have it's would have it's less than it otherwise would have been had monsoon not unfolded the way that it did. Yeah, there's a couple of papers we should read for a future discussion on the streamflow aspect of this winter as we think about snow and streamflow. And just just what you said is that there is this antecedent condition that's really important for conditioning streamflow in the spring, which is soil moisture uh, conditions in the fall. And so, yeah, we've we're probably in 
very rare territory as far as having as dry as soil moisture as we do right now. Okay, beautiful transition. How unprecedented are we right now at this moment in time? And, and, and being like on the heels of the, uh, the dry monsoon, having just had very little, if any, rain in, in October, and looking forward to what is anticipated to be a moderate to strong La Nina event, which, as people I'm sure are well aware, overwhelmingly tends to bring drier conditions to the southern part of the southwest. How unprecedented do you think that the situation is uh, in terms of drought? Uh, maybe we can just look at it through that lens. Is this a multiple choice? <laughs> it can be. Okay, give me, give me A, B, and C. Like very <laughs> unprecedented, not really, or I care not to answer. Is it like, is that? Well, no, I'm going to do a five-point Likert scale. Okay. Unprecedented, very unprecedented, neutral, somewhat unprecedented and not unprecedented at all. You know, this, this is a little kind of, if you want to crack open my skull and look in my brain, I very rarely go extreme on those Likert scales. I'm one of those kind of, kind of Midland people drives people, other people nuts sort of thing, but I'm going to say very unprecedented. So is there much to say, Mike, about this unfolding La Nina besides that uh, people expect it to be uh, on the moderate to, to, to strong side of things? I don't know if it's surprise, but I think it just sort of watching the event unfold is that there seems to be increasing confidence that it's going to be on the stronger side than on the weaker side. I think there was some uncertainty kind of early on in September and maybe August. And then that seems to have kind of given way to it from form. It's fully formed. It's impacting weather systems across the Pacific ocean it seems to be impacting even some of the forecast information we're seeing at the, the uh, shorter term, like week three, four forecasts. Uh, so that, that to me is it's here and it's, you know, moderate to maybe will continue to get stronger and is expected to persist the next couple of months. Yeah. So, you know, I looked at, I tried to interrogate this question a little bit more, the unprecedented question. There just hasn't been many cases where, we've come off of a dry uh, summer and been in a La Nina. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously the, the, the La Nina record only goes back to 1950. So we're only, we're only dealing with, and La Ninas are about 25% of the time. So we're not dealing with a lot of cases to begin with, but there was 10, 10 years that saw below average rainfall and that moved into a La Nina event. And it turns out that in only one of those years, was the wintertime rain uh, above average. And that is exactly what you would expect. I, I believe in like Southern Arizona, there's only three of the 22 cases or so of the La Ninas that actually produced above, above average rainfall anyway. So you wouldn't expect, you just wouldn't expect chances to be very high for a wet winter. So I guess the point here is we should be bracing for expanding and deepening drought conditions. Yes. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. I guess I don't, I don't have much more to say about that. Okay. Well, Mike, any parting shots? Did we, did we talk about everything we were going to talk about? Yep. I think we did cover everything that we wanted to cover, Mike. I mean, we've got a lot to, to unpack as this winter unfolds and, you know, perhaps 
uh, it'll throw us a curveball, and perhaps 2021 will <laughs> will buck the 2020 trend of pretty pretty crappy year. And so maybe maybe there's some optimism just in the in in the future for us. That's what I I'm going to end with. That's great, and I think you know taking this idea that you and I are so invested now in the failed monsoon and drought conditions coming up, maybe that's the right attitude to throw at 2020. Cause what it'll throw back is record wet conditions. Boy, right? Am I playing this right? I hope so, but I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure it's hearing you, but uh, we'll, 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 we'll try. All right. We'll give it another shot next month. We got one more month of 2020 to try to make that work. All right, Michael. Thanks as always. It's good to, thanks, it's good to have some therapy, climate therapy with you. It's been fun. Appreciate it. Ben, I am just going through all of your Slack messages. A lot of gifts. <laughs> That's my fault. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. I gotta say real quick too, I think I I think I abuse the English language by saying, can, can there be something that's very unprecedented? Because isn't unprecedented <laughs> mean it's never happened before? <laughs> yeah, I think I set you up for that. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be sort of unprecedented?